0: Hi, I'm Daniel Lucas, and welcome to Book 101. Book 101 is all about the books that arrived read for the last 40 years, and today I have my special guest. He's the author of Savions Trilogy, circa 1740, no other than Mr. T.O. Bernard.
1: Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Hi, Daniel.
0: Yes. Welcome back again, Mr. Burnett, and congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that.
0: Yes. For the warm welcome of Circa 1740, it is number one on Amazon chart for hot leases. How does it
1: feel? It feels amazing. Uh, you know, when I saw that, I just couldn't believe my eyes. Of course, I took a screenshot of the new release banner that was on there and, you know, just cropped it. And I'll be saving it. I'll probably make a picture of that, uh, you know, uh, 8x10 or something like that or 8x11 and keep it on my desk. You know, just a reminder of what's possible. And, you know, so it's it's a good start for a great book. I'm happy about it.
0: Yesterday, I saw it number one yes that, that, that's how the book i think one of the best seller coming wow <laughs>
1: that would be amazing i would be not upset about that it's been doing well um people have been supporting me the support has been tremendous the feedback has been awesome although the reviews are slow and coming on amazon right now i know for a fact that um there's at least one review that's tried to add that hasn't uploaded yet and it's a verified review at that but you know hopefully those are um be coming and and people will get a chance to read those and read the blurb and and get their hands on circa 1740 yes circa
0: 1740 what behind the title
1: uh circa 1740 it's you know every anytime someone says circa it you know we know that relates to of or about of time and 1740 relates to the time that he travels to but does not uh, remain in you know, and just, just a clue, but the story is actually set in the year 2211, you know, where the main story takes place. Um, my main character, Dequandre Tyson travels, time travels to, uh, the year 1740. So thus the title circa 1740. So
0: why did you choose 1740 or 18th century?
1: Well, that's a good question because I wanted to, um, put my, um, the the story is about, uh, an individual who is not as um, 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 I guess, but who doesn't do his part in his community. And he's um, indifferent to the plight of African-Americans in America. So um, part of that, he needed to see the pathology that's of slavery and the ramifications that it had or will have even in the year 2211 when he lives. And so in order to kind of prove a point to himself, he thought it was going to go one way it didn't up for him unfortunately and fortunately but he wanted to um go to ground zero of the trauma for black people in america and that was slavery and that was um jamestown virginia is where he traveled to is where the first slave kind of settlement um occurred where it was established and so he wanted to go and see it in in its rawness and i wanted to make it uh, I chose 1740 because I wanted to set it, you know, smack dab in the middle of the, uh, slavery when slavery was firmly established, but I didn't want it to be right up to the Revolutionary War, so I put it 1740 as a cl- as opposed to the time that, the, um, that that actually occurred. And according to Miss
0: Heather Henderson, one of your reviews, says, favorite prologue?
1: Yeah, the um, prologue, and so one of the things that um, Amazon has taught me is that with the look inside feature, people, you know, it's very important to start your novels off in a way that's going to capture your reader right away. So in this instance, the prologue allowed me to um, start right away with the action in the media res, have it where we fall in to a situation where a great deal of action has already occurred. We're dealing with the aftermath and, somebody is dying right there on a page as we in the first sentence and then we're dealing with the trauma of the individual the point of view character's um interiority at that point in time and all that he's dealing with while he's still trying to save his own life and so that made for an exciting prologue that I'm not going to give away the surprise at the end of the prologue but it's right there on the look inside. if you look at it you'll see and it uh, it hooks you right away, you know. It's exciting. It's post pounding, and you're right away. It 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 makes you invested in that character and hope that the character survives. So it's, it's it was a good start. I got, you know, I took my time with it, and I made sure that I um laid it out in a way that if I were the reader, I would be, you know, unable to put the book down.
0: And according to Miss Henderson, you crafted the book in a such a way that anyone will read will be addicted to it
1: that was the goal that was the goal. um even in the points where there was not much action happening on the pages i wanted to make sure that the um there was intrigue and suspense uh label um put into it i wanted to make sure that everything that i wrote um in this story was either foreshadowing or either pertinent to the story or to the main story there's nothing wasted in here i even had to go back and layer in to the story some red herrings for that reason yes
0: and emotions of the characters are sometimes so palpable
1: yes so in that situation once again i um i'm a very strong believer in um in plausibility and verisimilitude when it comes to my writing. In that vein, we put the, you know, we go to the parameters of the, that I've established for the the context of the, the personalities of the particular character, put them in a the situation. And my goal at that point in time is to respond in the exact same way, a plausible way that that, that character would do, given the fact that also given the fact that the, the character does have choices in that moment. And you hope in that situation that the character makes the right choice, but it's is ultimately up to the character. And so it keeps you tuned in. It keeps you reading. And I think that that is the key.
0: Yes. So circa 1740, what historical events that influence you the most?
1: Well, mainly it's um, these, um, the fact that slavery did happen in the United States, um, that black Americans are still dealing with the trauma and that um, certain individuals did benefit from slavery and still are reaping the benefits from it, though they may, may not believe so. And um, that we as a country are still dealing with the ramifications or the consequences of forced servitude um, by black people in this country. And it's still um, in a lot of ways is divisive. It's still, um, you know, has a wedge and you know and there's a a stigma sometimes associated with black skin still to this day and that um comes with a great deal of skepticism whereas other cultures that are you know that or or immigrants that come here you know automatically get the benefit of the doubt in certain situations that we do not so it's still you know alive and well but it's a slow moving train and the our goal as, a, as, as people, black, white, everyone, is to stay on the tracks. Yes. So circa seventeen
0: forties filled with care and love. How did you do that in the story?
1: There's a lot of sensitive issues that go through here. So I address a lot of the things that, uh, that went on in slavery, a lot of the bad things that went on in slavery. Um, but I didn't want to present them in a way that was going to be a turnoff to the readers. Um, so, you know, listen, I want black readers. I want white readers. I want great readers of all cultural backgrounds to enjoy this book. So this book is not one about slavery that wags its finger at white people and say, look how bad you are. It doesn't do that. This is an introspective on black people. It's a family business. And it's one Black character's uh, responsibility to his community at large is what it focus, focuses on. So in that vein, I um, take a lot of sensitive things and that have to be put into the story. They have to be put into the story. You just can't gloss over them. But I try to do them in a way that, that is palatable. Yes.
0: So Sirka 1740 had 30 chapters. Which chapters have difficulties
1: in writing with uh so of the 30 chapters chapter chapter 10 was probably the most difficult to write um in that chapter i think it's called the awakening and that's the um chapter where he actually arrives in slavery for the first time and it's a shock to his system it it will be a shock to anyone's system Uh, my main character is a is a high profile, a former high profile athlete who has everything. He lives in a state of the art home, um, have has all the plush amenities, all the creature comforts that one could imagine. And then he goes to a time period where the first thing he notices when he arrives there is that his shoes are two sizes too small and his feet hurt. And so, um, and he's in a sweltering musty um, structure and there's no air conditioning. And so right away you feel it, you feel it, you hear it, you see it. And everything is, um, you know, there's, I wanted to make that clear delineation and, and make it evident right there at that moment. And so he experiences some bad things right away. There's nothing good because his, I'll, I'll say, I'll, you know, his, his arrival was at a time that was not opportune for him or the people who um, were around him. And so it was a wrong time for him to be ignorant to some things. So it has um, consequences and ramifications. And when you read it, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about.
0: Yes, people. And Miss Henderson uh, said that filled with the
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, a staple of my writing style uh, in, in any book that I write is that you won't be able to predict anything that, that, um, that goes on. A lot of the stuff, um, plot wise or just it's is, is counter counterintuitive I don't want to say counterintuitive but I because I do lay the foundation I do foreshadow certain things but I don't want anything to be predictable so you know I you know although I do recognize that the value of tropes and things of that of that nature I don't want uh any of my work to be cliche so I work hard to avoid that
0: uh, circa 1740 is totally planned to us. The same with Sapien Trilogy.
1: It's totally planned. Um, I plotted it out from beginning to end before I wrote a word. Uh, I had a complete outline. I um And I made sure to stick to that, which made for a quick write. I wrote this book in under six months as a result. It was plotted from beginning to end. I had the um genre conventions laid out had the key scenes laid out. I knew exactly what needed to be in there. I made sure all of those things were met. You know, circa 1740 is a worldview uh, novel. That's the that's the content genre of it. I still, it falls under this, um, the, the commercial genre of science fiction, but the content genre, which is more specific is a worldview novel. And all of those things are met. It's all about the character um, um, having a mindset that may or may not be problematic experience being made aware of it um, confronting that experiencing something as a result and the what we want to see as readers is whether it changes him for the better or for the worse but we do know for a fact that he's going to be changed. Yes
0: so how many days and months you wrote circa
1: 1740? Uh, I think I was through the first draft in approximately four and a half months, maybe five months, and then I started the um, editing process immediately afterward. It didn't take very long. I set a writing goal of 600 words per day, and I, with the exception of one day, I think, I met that goal every day, but the even, even still on the day that I didn't meet the goal, I came back and wrote 1,800 words the next day. So 600 words is a very low bar to meet, but if i if you meet that every day you can write 108,000 words in 6 months i believe that's the numbers so it's a, um it you can get a and that's a full novel
0: is there a sequel or prequel for this book
1: there is not Circa 1740 is a standalone um, so you can expect to get a, a a beginning a climax resolution and you know and an everything is going to be wrapped up in a nice little bow so if, it's a um, you know, it it meets the genre conventions. You know, if you study the worldview genre, and I won't give you any, any the readers any clue, the uh, listeners any clues, but if you study the worldview genre, it meets everything, all the expectations that were that are within that. Um, and I say that because I don't want to give a clue to the ending, because there's a certain expectation of worldview genre en- endings that this does um fall right into the parameters of.
0: Okay. Before we go on, Mr. Burnett, I want to shout out to the people listening in Italy. Hey, grazie mille tutto. Uh, people listening in uh, Piedmont. I have 41% audience share. Letium, 32%. Lombardi at 9%. Tuscany, of course. Emilia-Romagna. 3% Aquila. I have 3%. Campania, 3% again. Torrentino Alto Adige. Wow, grazie mille tutto. Of course, Veneto. Sicily Calabria. Truly, Venetia Guglia. And thank you so much for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world like Mr. Burnett. So, Mr. Burnett, Miss, Aurita Thoma says, "It will move you." Wow.
1: Yes, (laughs) it. It um. There are some emotional scenes in this book. There are some. Listen, there's there are a couple of scenes that um. Even though I wrote the book myself, that I cry every time I read it, and I've read this book nine times myself already. So every time I've gotten to that particular to a couple of particular spots. In the book, is just even though I know what's, what's about to happen, it still draws the tears out of me. And it's just so gut-wrenching. And um, you feel for the character, the main character. You feel for the people in the novel and just for their condition. And, you know, we have the hindsight, the benefit of hindsight. We know that slavery ends the, in, in 1865. In 1745 and 1740, they don't know that. And so everything that they're working toward, and my main character knows that, but he knows it. And so he has to uh, weigh everything that he's going through with the fact that the people who he's he's living with won't see freedom. And it's a painful thing. Yes.
0: And I like this, Mr. Burnett, Uh, Ms. Thomas said, it will change you for the better.
1: Yes, that's a a well of a compliment right there. And I, I tend to agree with her, you know, it, it makes you search within and look within and um, ask some tough questions of everyone who is reading the book. What would you do in that situation? How would you react? Uh, you know, What would be your response to living in that condition and being trusted into a situation that's so bad, so genocidal and so um, just replete of respect? and all of the um, humanity that we so rightly deserve.
0: Ms. Henderson and Ms. Thomas have great objectives of your book, and they are well-written, excellent read, amazing novel. I can (laughs) more than agree with that.
1: Well, thank you very much. Uh, And the one that stands out to me right there is um, the well-written part. You know, I'm a person who has an active and... um, you know a great imagination but um the technical aspects of writing i've had to work on you know and that's where the sapien uh, trilogy came into play because it allowed me to get my writing chops together but um the the fact that you know they're saying well written is a is a great compliment i take that to heart and i'm still improving and i endeavor to improve even more but that really makes me feel good i like that so sapien is your like stepping stone to be better writer. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully each book that I write will have that effect on the next book. You know, I hope to, by the time it's all said and done, if I get to write the amount of books that I hope to write, I hope that once, like I said, in the last um, episode of this podcast, that I will be some uh, a writer of some renowned. Um, and I think that if I keep improving at the rate that I have improved, already that would be possible. Um, You know, it's just, I'm I'm a student of the game. I listen to podcasts daily. I listen to your podcast. I listen to several others. I have about 12 in vocation that I actively listen to, and they're all about writing. And so I'm, you know, I'm a nerd when it comes to this thing. I want to soak up as much information as possible. And I wanted to um, incorporate everything that is helpful to me into my process. And, you know, and continue to improve
0: yes I think uh, that's the good trait Uh, even you think that yourself is good already you need to improve more
1: (laughs) oh that's absolutely correct that's absolutely correct listen when Michael Jordan uh, was playing basketball to the day he retired he still practiced free throws every day so you know there's always room for improvement true
0: so people listening on my book 101 review i'm inviting you to listen to my other podcast food 101 on our third season with chef alessandro uh one of the executive chef in five-star hotel in downtown toronto food 101 is all about different kind of cuisine interviews and food trivia and many more so please do check Food 101. So, Mr. Burnett, Circa 1740,
1: what is the best highlight? Oh, wow. So, the best highlight of Circa 1740 is, um, well, the prologue, first and foremost, I've gotten amazing feedback from that from everybody. So, everyone who's listening to it, you can go to the Amazon link right now, click on the uh, Look Inside feature, and just read the prologue everybody's loved that but for me for me um, in chapter 8 when he goes through the um, the paranormal or the the cosmic event that allows him to time travel the, the description that I use within that to show him going through the portal and how he came back out of the portal and all those things that's my favorite part I think is' um, so vivid. As you're reading it, you can see it occurring. You can feel it. And it's just, um, it's, I think it's just, I, f- from my perspective, I think that part is very well done. And I, it shows, and it's funny because the, um, the prologue, and that scene that I'm talking about now in chapter 8 were the first two scenes of the book that I actually wrote. And I filled everything else in between. So you that, that'll tell you. And it shows, obviously, because everybody is excited about the prologue. And I love the scene in chapter 8 where he actually goes through the time, um, the portal. So if there's a
0: prologue, there's be an epilogue. If you compare your epilogue from your prologue, what's the big difference?
1: well there is uh no epilogue in the story the um the last scene in the book could serve as an epilogue it feels like an epilogue but i chose not to make it an epilogue um just because i wanted to i wanted it to have a um a clean end to the story and you know so it was just a just a decision I f- it felt better within the story but the uh, prologue is um But to compare and contrast the two, they are, uh, whereas the, as exciting as the prologue is, the epilogue or the final scene in the book is as warm, as touching. And there's another one where you may shed a tear once once you read it. Yes, that's true.
0: So if after five years or after two years, you want to modify circa 1740 which part
1: of the book do you want to modify uh, at this point at this juncture there is no inclinations to do that but if if um i if anything there's a um, there's a portion after the climax that um that I had I wanted to, I probably could have add a, added a little more stuff to, um, you know just a little more enrichment. but I think that just would have prolonged the inevitable and um, it would have had no bearing on the outcome of the story. So the way I wrote the final scene and the final chapter, um, it kind of incorporates um, implicitly all of those things that I would have included anyway. Very well said.
0: Circa seventeen forty, good for a series or for a movie.
1: Oh, circa seventeen forty would be a, either a movie or mini series. I can see it be being done into a um a four or five part miniseries, but it's I think the best medium for this would be a standalone movie. And I think it would um oh I think it would be epic. It would be great. It, yes. it would be something that would be amazing. It will be
0: phenomenal.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Even better. I like phenomenal. Yes.
0: (laughs) It's phenomenal, Mr. Burnett. Circa 1740. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, most of the movie uh, adaptation, from uh, they change the title from the movie. Do you agree to change the title of the book from the movie that they do or the series?
1: This is one where I'm almost sure that they would, um, they would change it. I happen to love the title, but I think that it that were it to be adapted to a movie, that they would change the title, and I wouldn't. I would be fine with that. You know, once again, as long as I was given credit for having written the source material, and you know, and all of the um monetary uh stuff that goes along with that, then I would have no problem with it. But I think, um, yeah, I think. I think that probably will happen. I just love the title myself, but I can see where somebody would change it. And I can see where they would take some um, some creative liberties with some of the scenes in the novel as well. And as far as um, stretching out some of the things that go on while he's in slavery, I think the portion of time he spends in his own time is pretty much untouchable because it's, so, it's laid out in such a fashion that nothing could be sacrificed there. But I can see them taking some liberties of, on the other side.
0: I think last Wednesday we talked about our third season for with my co-host Chris Terbley that some writers they are discredited. It, some other author like Mister Herbert, Mister Herbert is well known for a horror genre uh, novels, and uh, we compare Mister Herbert to Mister King, and Mister King is like a big hit because. If a movie outfit taking his work, the same title of the book, may I know your opinion? Are you okay for that? That they discredit, uh, their writers?
1: No, I'm not. Um, but no, they, they, I'm not okay with that. I think um, that's a shame. Actually, I think writers, as much as possible, should get as much get credit whenever credit is due. Um, anybody who creates anything should be able to uh, be acknowledged for the work that they've done. That's where the music industry gets it right. You know, if you sample somebody's work or you do something that's too similar or too close to somebody's work, as we saw with the um, blurred lines and, um, and the Marvin Gaye situation with that, the songs, you know, sound a lot similar and he was um, successfully sued, I believe for that. So I think in the same vein, in the same way that if you create something and if something is based on what you created or taken directly from you, then then by all means, the writer should get credit for it. Yes,
0: definitely. Because that is, uh, I think, a big achievement for a writer or an author. That's correct. So let's talk about the main character of Circa seven forty. What are the characteristics that you can share to us?
1: Okay, so the Tyson is a—he's um, first of all, he's a, a very very good basketball player. He um um is twenty five years of age. He's six feet six inches tall, so he's um prototypical size for um uh, NBA um, basketball player and two guard shooting guard. Um, he's coming off a um, successful college basketball career, one in which he became a national hero when he hit a buzzer beater jump shot to win the national championship game for the Southside State Cerulean Knights, the university that he played for. Um, Everybody in the country knew him from that point on. Um, He was given the uh, nickname The Stud by the um, color commentator Dick Rogers at that moment, and everybody from that point on knew him as a stud. He happened to be a sophomore in college when he hit the shot. Um, once he graduated from college, he went to work for a, a, a marketing firm where he pretty much was the face of the firm. And so he, um, well, before that, he was trying to go to the pro league and ended up having a, a major knee injury uh, that stopped him from going professional. But his parents were smart enough to um, put a, a insurance policy on him. And so he got paid a handsome amount and made him pretty much a millionaire. So he didn't need to work, but he worked anyway because he wanted to stay active. And so he lived a good lifestyle. And so that's what we find him when the story to be, story begins. He's um his problem with the worldview, which makes it a worldview story, is that he's indifferent to the plight of others. He cares only about himself. He's a pretty selfish individual um, in the beginning, and um so that is pointed out to him by a co-worker of his. And so that's where the conflict arises. Yes.
0: So how about the villain? How you crafted the villain in the story?
1: The villain The villain is, um, in the worldview story, the villain is the protagonist is just the person he's trying to be, and the antagonist is the person that he needs to get away from. And they're both contained within himself. And so that that is the challenge for him so he has to um fight an internal struggle and that is the um that is what's going on and so the the um interesting thing for the reader is to see whether he is able to overcome that and if he does what he does with his new found awakening at that point
0: yes so if you're making stories is it uh, the villain and the main character are they have the same characteristics.
1: My mentality about that is that the the villain needs to be someone who is formidable. It makes for a better story is if the villain is more powerful than the main character because the main it gives the main character something to overcome. It gives them a major obstacle and it makes the reader have to root for them. So the villain needs to be a very capable individual. Um, the villain needs to have a MacGuffin that is believable. And it, the individual needs to be someone who has something that they believe strongly in, and it has to be to make sense to the reader. You know, we just can't have them be evil for the sake of being evil. That doesn't work anymore. You know, uh, we can't have. You know, I mean, the Joker has been done. You know, so that that character is out there. You know, is one of a kind. But we need individuals who have a um a purpose, and they need to fight for something and just philosophically, they need to have a blind spot to how bad what they're trying to achieve actually is. The main character sees it, the reader sees it, everybody else in the world sees it, but the person with the power, the villain, does not see it, and that's what needs to be overcome.
0: Very well said, Mr. Burnett. So, 30 chapters. Which chapters inspired you to know?
1: So, I definitely liked writing chapter 4 of this book and that that is titled a tie a guy in a crucifix and in that chapter something you know very cool happens you know i'm not going to spoil it for the reader but you know that's when they um the the main character gets his eyes open and that's where the kind of sort of the inciting incident you know is about to happen um so chapter four chapter 10 i love um chapter 18 is incredible and chapter 18 is the um is the the um chapter that when he um has lived his life in slavery and he understands fully everything about it and so now he has that knowledge and and so he has to go through the rest of his natural life um dealing with what he learned in there and so and then also chapter 30 the last chapter is one that I really love Historical events, let's go back.
0: After five years or 10 years that you want to modify these circa 1740, which historical events you want to insert?
1: Uh, so I, um, the historical events are already included. Um, um, I did reference the war because it does cross over to the Revolutionary War at some point in time. So you just can't have that occur and then not reference it at all. So I, I I do mention that, you know, but the enslaved people on the plantation that I um, write about are not involved in that, but it does have some, um, it does touch them. So some things that happen in that war do affect them, whether it's adversely or you know, positively, you know, I'll leave that for the reader to discover. And um, so it's set there. now. Twenty two eleven is the other year that the story is set in, so I, you know, I'm, I'm not that clairvoyant where I can figure out <laughs> what's going, <laughs> what's going to happen, you know, in the twenty third century. So, but if I would, I, you know, I'd be playing lottery numbers every day. But so I don't know what historical events would have um transpired at that point in time. But the one sure thing that we do know happened, I did address it in the story, Mister
0: Bernard. So where do people buy your book?
1: Amazon. Once again, go to Amazon. And especially with this book, I want to reiterate, you want to go to Amazon and just click on the look inside feature and read everything that is there. I promise you, once you read that, you'll be hooked. You'll you'll want to read the entire story. There's no way that you can read that and not want to see what's coming next. So go to Amazon. Either search my name, T.O. Burnett, or search search Circa 1740 and you'll find it. Um, And just please enjoy my story, read it, review it, tell me what you think. Um, And I'll be, I'm just excited to hear from you all about it.
0: Yes, people, let's support Mr. Burnett because all the books are phenomenal. Sapient Trilogy, if you you want to listen to our conversation, we talk about Sapien, Dawn of Oblivion, uh, Sapien.
1: Days of Deception, and yes. Sapien, then there was darkness.
0: If you want to know those books, listen to us because we discuss the secrets and how uh, Mr. Burnett uh, crafted all those books and one of the kind. Yes. Uh, congratulations again, Mr. Bernard For number one hot releases of Circa 1740 I hope this will be a bestseller And to be a movie or to be a series
1: Thank you very much I hope that your your wishes come true That would be great for me That would be a dream for me So let's keep yes. our fingers crossed
0: Yes, uh, shouting uh, HBO or... Uh... Netflix. <laughs> yes,
1: either or. I'll be yes. I'll be happy to have either one of them take it on for sure. <laughs>
0: or Disney, uh, Disney Plus. <laughs> that that no. would
1: work too. Yes,
0: they they are a good uh, provider for those series or movies. So, Mister Burnett, what else you can say about circa seventeen forty?
1: Circa seventeen forty is um is a look into. Uh, from a perspective of Black people, circa 1740, is me talking about family business. That's what it's talking about. So, you know, it it goes beyond the stereotypical things that um, other people from the outside looking into us would um would see, and it gets into the nuanced behaviors that we recognize for our, ourselves, and um goes into the different levels of what we think about one another. So if you want some insight in one of my um, one of my favorite books of all time is um, George Orwell's 1984. And I like that book because it says the quiet part out loud. It um, says some some true things. And in that way, Circa 1740 is the same because it says it addresses some things that black people that we all know about one another, that we don't necessarily think that the rest of the world sees, but we see it in ourselves just like any other, uh, place, any, um, like some things that all Italian people might know about each other or some things that all Chinese people might know about each other or Indonesian people might know about each other that might be hard to, um, imagine or understand by people who are on the outside looking in. So this is how I, um, approach, you know, our black community in america specifically and i think it'll be insightful i think that you sh- if you want to learn something about us you know take a look and listen i mean and, and read it and you will have your eyes open to a few things
0: so is it mr george orwell influence you in your writing
1: yes he 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 does influence me in that there he he emphasizes the um, honesty that needs to take place in fiction. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. There's um, fiction needs to be, to have a great deal of truth in it for it to be um, plausible, believable, and for it to be relatable. And so um, he, for that reason, I um, I do mimic that aspect of his writing. George Orwell, Octavia Butler, Octavia Butler for her imagination and for the way that she um, thinks outside of the box, and also James Baldwin for his ability to extrapolate a point to a conclusion that is understandable and conveys everything that he needs to convey. So those three writers are, I think I'm an amalgamation. I want to be an amalgamation of, of the three. And um, if I achieve that, then there would be something special, but that's that's what I endeavor to do.
0: If you describe Mr. George Owell writing, what is it? Or what are they?
1: Uh, i say truth. Um, timeless you know, with 1984 and Animal Farm, you know, he addresses some, you know, social issues in a ways in ways that are palatable, palatable, you know, and make and and breaks it down in a way that you can easily understand it in 1984, even though when he wrote 1984, his vision of what 1984 would actually look like is off. It's completely off. But the universal truths that he conveys in that story are undeniable and that's that's the allure of that of that work of that novel and that's why even today is still in the genre well respected and a bestseller yes
0: so now that we are in the
1: 21st century uh
0: who are your uh, writers that
1: influence you the most um well still to this day i'm i'm i read Books by Octavia Butler, even though she's um, deceased. Octavia Butler, James Baldwin, and George Orwell—those three. So I read their works, and because of the things that I mentioned already, there's not a my opinion, and this is uh, probably a little bit of little bit controversial, but my opinion of today's writers are not—it's not very high because, you know, there are some who are very successful and who do some great things, um, but. What I found is that um, people are writers of today are better marketers than they are writers. You have a lot of people who um, write, you know, make a lot of money, but don't write stories that that are going to resonate past um, that book, past that time frame that they wrote it. My goal is to be a throwback. I want to write books that um, people will see, uh, read 200 years from now and and think that it's still that they're still relatable, that you know, that they still are have value, and so I may not make as much money as the people who are writing to market right now, but um, I'll take that trade off. You know, immortality is a beautiful thing. Definitely.
0: So, what do you
1: think? What are the factors? Why nowadays,
0: uh, being a writer is the quality is being less and lessened?
1: Uh, just for the just for the um the reasons I stated because it doesn't um there's not be- because the 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 avenues to publishing have opened up um people are this people are you have the ability to put to become a factory um, people want to put out more and more product instead of um, taking two or three years or whatever the time frame that's needed to write the book that they need to write to perfect it or whatever is all about getting books out quickly, um, marketing them and, you know, and then going on to the next one. Um, so I think in some ways that mindset has caused, I know, I know people who are written 18, 20 books in, and haven't been writing for five years and they, and, and they are making tons and tons of money. And so, but I don't, when it's all said and done, you know, I want somebody to pick up my book and be impressed from, word, from the first word to the last word. And, you know, whether, you know, I make any money or, on it or not, I want them to say that this is well done. And so that's the standard to which I, I write.
0: So do you mean that nowadays we are producing quantity not quality?
1: I think, yes, you said it better than I, than I did. But yes, I think that's what's happening.
0: What is your advice, so that we maintain the quality of writing that we had before, like uh, the time of Shakespeare, Dickens?
1: Uh, my biggest uh, would be to take your time, um, write something that you'll be proud of. And I know that since people have pseudonyms and pen names, you know, nowadays that they write under is not as much importance put on it, but ultimately. You know those things can always be attributed back to you, and you know what you're writing. Even if I wrote under a pen name, and if somebody was sitting there beside me and just trashing the the novel that I had written, I would feel horrible about that. So I would want to be able to be proud of whatever I've written. I want, it, like I said, I want it to be timeless, and I want um, people to look back on it. I want my family members to be proud of what I've written, and I want it to be um, just. Just respected work. So that's the standard I adhere to. So that that would be my advice. Write something that that you will always be proud of. Take your time. Don't rush your work. Put it out when you're ready to put it out. Yes, people.
0: Listen to Mr. Burnett. (laughs) Because uh, Mr. Burnett producing quality books. So once again, Mr. Burnett, invite our readers and listeners to buy your book.
1: Yes, go to Amazon.com or Amazon. Amazon. wherever you are in the world and um, log on, put Circa 1740 in the search bar or put T.O. Burnett in there and all of my books will come up. See and purchase them. Oh, and by the way, I want to thank you because I have seen an uptick in sales since we've uh, recorded the other three episodes around the, um, the Sapien series. So, they're you know, I've, I've been monitoring my, um, Amazon, my KDP account and things are moving as a result of what you, Daniel Lucas, have done. And I appreciate you for that. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome, Mr. Burnett. And I hope we finish all your books. You can come again and talk about your books that you read and you can promote your book. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Bernat.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Daniel. This has been an absolute joy. It's been a blast. And I can't thank you enough for um, what you've done, giving me a platform to talk about my books. This has been amazing. I think you put on one heck of a podcast. And I hope your readers or your listeners are enjoying what they've been hearing. It's been very enjoyable for me. Thank you.
0: Marticon people, see you soon.